Today we have the privilege of hearing the scriptures, having the scriptures shared with us from uh, a young man who came to join our team just before we launched a year ago. I'm talking about Marty Irwin. And uh, yeah, I'm so grateful for Marty and his wife, Casey. They have been such an incredible blessing to all of us. And as you know, Marty leads worship, and he also um, actually uh, runs our books, runs the finances. I don't know, figure out that wiring. Musician, financing, it's really, uh, he's, he's a weird dude. And, but but he's, here's the thing, he's multi-talented. And I've seen uh, the, the talent, I've seen the servant heart in his life, both he and Casey. And i just tell you the real quick story. So he came to the launch team meeting we were having in August a year ago. And he looked at what we were doing. We were splitting up into teams and trying to figure out how to make sure we, everything was right. And, and I, I remember when they were there that night and watching him look at those teams. And he knew that we needed help. And I remember talking to my wife that night and saying, I don't, should I invite him to come? Should I ask him about coming? Because I knew it was out there. And I wasn't sure if he was the right one. But as I, we prayed together, I thought, I, I, what I thought is, I like these, these guys. I like them. And I believe in them. I think they're talented. And so let's see if the Lord will do something. I told him the next day, I said, why don't you pray about this? <laughs> Three days later, they were signing a lease on an apartment. They move quick. <laughs> And so I have so appreciated their serving and their loving of One Chapel, and they have really become part of who we are. And I'm really excited about him speaking to us today in our series on Philippians. And so I want you to give a huge One Chapel welcome to Pastor Marty Irwin. Thank you. Um, you know, it doesn't feel like a year ago uh, until I start thinking about all that One Chapel is now. Um, you know, we just had a Team One party the other day, and I believe there were, if I can do this right, there were more people at that Team One party than there were in the church a year before. And so everything just happening so fast. Even this finance thing that Ross asked me to, to take on, uh, it was something that was in my heart. There's kind of this administrative thing that I have as a musician, but most people uh, don't know how to put that in a box because normally the musician is the guy who can't count to five unless he's, well, he can count to six. Yeah, or eight. Yeah. Reality is, is, is that the administrative side of a musician is, is hard to find. And so when I, when I try to think about, all right, Lord, if you want me to do this, what do I tell people that I do? You know, what, what is the position that I then have at One Chapel? We believe in relational authority, that that is the most important thing, right, in life, that it's not about positional authority. It's about, it's about um, you know, earning your, yourself um, a place in people's hearts to have leadership. But uh, I thought, okay, am I going to be the musical money man? How do you put those two things together? I couldn't quite figure it out. And, uh, but the Lord really has just um, uh, been able to help me stay grounded in that side of what I love to do, and so um, I believe that our pastor hears from God, and when he came to me, I knew that he was listening to the voice of God, and he said, hey, can you do this as well, and I said, yes, and it's been a great move. Um, I'm, I'm going to dive right in today. We're going to do kind of an in-depth study in Philippians, um, but before I do, uh, let's pray. Father, we just ask that you'd come and that you would uh, speak in this service, that you would make it clear the things that you're trying to say to our hearts, uh, that we would draw near to you, 
so that you are the loudest thing that we hear. Father, let us have things that pop off the page for our lives and how to continue to grow and how to continue to move forward in our faith. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you turn to Philippians 2? We're going to start in verse 12. I'm only going to cover four verses. Um, I'm going to do this in kind of an in-depth study approach. Uh, you know, this week I brought this Bible of mine. This is what I studied from. This is a Bible that I got when I was in eighth grade. Um, it is like a, it's a color of green. You probably can't see it from there, but it's a color of green that they don't even make anymore. Um, it's actually like my grandpa's, you know, car. That was the color of it. And so uh, I studied out of this because I didn't feel like for me that the smartphone approach was going to be a way to get deep into the scriptures. And just really quickly, I want to encourage you in that, uh, that if you're studying the word of God, be careful not to only do it from your smartphone. You become a smarter person by actually pulling out the Bible. And so that's uh, what I'd encourage us to do as a church. Uh, I believe this statement, that understanding original intent is what leads us to appropriate application. Understanding original intent is what leads us to appropriate application. I'm going to give you an example of that right now as we read in Philippians 2, verse 12. I'm going to read these four verses together. You can follow along. It says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault, in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. I'm going to cover the first four words here because I think there's something there for us. And that is this statement, therefore, my dear friends. Historically, if you look at the book of Philippians, it was written in A.D. 60. 60 to 62, Paul was under house arrest in Rome. And Jesus was crucified, A.D. 30, A.D. 33, somewhere in that era. We don't really exactly know the date. I think it was December 25th when he was born, but we don't know his death. Easter Sunday somewhere. But this word, therefore, you know, there's the, the old joke that when you see therefore, you need to know what it's there for. But Paul was saying it for a reason. Couldn't he have just said, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed? But he didn't. He used the conjunction there, that adverb. He said, therefore, because he's tying two statements together. He's saying, hey, what I'm about to tell you has everything to do with what I just told you. And so I'm not going to take the time to read this, but last week, Pastor Ross took us through the first 11 verses of Philippians 2, and it talks about all the attributes of Jesus, being like-minded, being of one spirit and purpose, do nothing out of selfish ambition, in humility, consider others better than yourselves, take on the nature of a servant, when the Bible says that he was the servant of all. But here's what I think Paul's really saying. As you look at those five things, and you don't need to write them down because we're about to change this screen, but I think Paul is really saying to the Philippian people, Remember to be like Jesus. With that, therefore, he's saying, okay, 30 years have passed between Jesus' death and now the book of Philippians being written. What happens in 30 years? A whole new generation of people is coming up, right? Think about it. Young people, little kids, teenagers, they're running around the city of Philippi, and they are, for the first time, a generation of people 
that know Jesus the way we know him. Think about it. The very first generation of people that were not there when Jesus lived on the earth. If you look at verse 6 through 11, it is written as what they call a New Testament psalm. It's written in poetic structure. It has a, a, a rhyme and a reason, and, and, and Paul gave it some forethought. And it's all of these attitudes of Jesus, as it says in verse 5. And so I think for us, the therefore, the reason it's there is so that we would remember to be like Jesus and to pass on the message of his life to others. That he wouldn't just be somebody we know, but that we would talk about him to our kids, right? That we would talk about him to our peers, to those that are in our lives, that we we wouldn't forget the stories of our Savior. This is why the therefore is there. And then my dear friends is just a reference of endearment. You'll see it throughout Philippians. He just loved this church so much and the support that they had of him. I want us to continue. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence. I'm going to stop there. It's a little bit of a random place to stop, but if you read that as a standalone statement, it seems like Paul is saying, hey, you obeyed me when I was with you, but you obeyed me much more when I'm gone. Or you obeyed the scriptures when I was with you, and you obeyed the scriptures much more when I'm away. That doesn't compute, though, does it? Those of you that are parents, do your children obey you more when you are there or or when you are away? When you're there. You want to think they're obeying you just as much when you're not there, but it's not how it works. Parents are away. The partay begins. (laughs) I think what Paul is actually saying here is this. Hey, I'm applauding your obedience to the Scriptures, but even more so, I want to applaud you for living right while I'm not there to help you. So a critical interpretation for us is this question. How do we live when no one else is around? Yikes. Self-evaluate. What kind of decisions do you make when you're home alone? Maybe when you're on a business trip. And listen, I'm not just talking about major sin issues that we all struggle with. I'm talking about just the trivial things in life, these choices that we make. Maybe like laziness, getting nothing done because nobody needs you to. Hallelujah, praise the Lord for that sometimes, right? Right? Come on, men, you know, right? You go on that business trip and you're like, oh, my word, I don't have to do anything. Than my, those projects that my wife is wanting me to get done. That's right. What about recklessness, making negligent decisions because nobody knows? You know, I was a reckless teenager. I'll tell you those stories one day. But I was making negligent decisions because I wanted someone to notice. In our adolescence and in our adulthood, we make reckless decisions, and most of the time we kind of just look at it like, well, nobody's going to see this, and so you just go on with the poor decision. Or self-isolation choosing to live detached because nobody cares. One chapel, can I say this statement, and I, Ross has said this before, using the word life. We believe that life was never meant to be done alone. That you should not live your life in self-isolation. You shouldn't push people away in the name of, this is just easier. We should have influence in our life, and we should be influence to others. Would you agree? 
You know, I'm not saying that being alone is inherently bad because here's the two things that I would consider. You know, the introvert is not necessarily drawn to be around large groups of people all the time. They need space and time alone to recharge and refuel. How many of you are introverted type? Yeah, real slow raising of hands like, this will make me stand out in a crowd, so I will go slow with this. The introvert needs to be careful, though, not to confuse your personality type with making choices to push everyone away, right? Maybe we find ourselves sulking in the aftermath of poor decisions and we lock ourselves into depression. Choosing to live without influence is not good. So you've got the introvert, and then I think you've got one other thing here to consider, and that is the inevitable, right? Isn't it going to happen to us from time to time? We're going to be alone. We're going to go on that trip, that trip that our business is calling us to go on. We're, we're going to be home by ourselves. There's these unavoidable seasons of life. Maybe for some of you, you're divorced. Maybe for some of you, you've never been married. Maybe you just like to live alone and not have roommates. Whatever the case may be, there is the inevitable, but... As we talk about the secret to being content, I want to give us two things that will help us practically come against these weaknesses, these, these sin issues that we face when nobody else is around. Number one, I want us to be sure that we're spending time with the Lord. There is strength in His presence. I've felt it all week long as I studied just the strength of God come into my life. You know, for those of you that maybe find yourself alone more often than you want to, more often than you really like to? Can I encourage you in this? The Holy Spirit wants to be your companion. You are not alone. The Bible defines him as the divine paraclete, as the one who comes to comfort. And so live your life in a spiritual sense, knowing that the Holy Spirit is as real to you as your mom. Because the Holy Spirit wants to speak into your heart. He doesn't want you to feel alone. Call upon him. When you feel isolated, call upon the Lord. There's strength in his presence. Spend time with other people. There's strength in numbers. Would you agree with that? You can prove this over and over and over. One of the ideas here is, uh, don't turn here, but 1 Peter 5 and verse 8 is the enemy prowls around like a lion verse that we all know from our childhood in the flannel graph. But the idea here is that the devil goes around and who does he attack? It's the weak ones, right? The isolated ones, the ones that are alone. Uh, I want to say one quick thing about this idea of codependency. I have some friends right now that are learning this hard decision that is that a codependent relationship is an unhealthy love. If you don't know what codependent relationship is like, it has to do with the idea that, um, that you cannot live without another person, that your identity is wrapped up in that individual. Have you ever met somebody like this, that they just, they just latch on to that one person and, and they, they, their lifeblood is in this relationship? And other than God himself, we should not be living that way. Even if you're married, you should have friends, right? Don't do your life with, other, with just one another, right? Do, make sure you're doing life, that life was never meant to be done alone, that you've got multi, just people in your life that you can call upon when you need them. Let's continue on here. Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my absence or in my presence, but much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. This is a controversial verse, and 
I'm going to get into that. But let's talk about the fear and trembling part for just a moment. Fear and trembling, as most of us think about it, has to do with images like spiders, skydiving, snakes, and spiders. I hate spiders so much. Lauren Sineski, are you in here? So Lauren posted a picture on Facebook this week of a huge tarantula on the wall outside of her house. I will never go to your house. I'm just kidding. I hate spiders, I'm honest. Yeah, that's a bad PR move if you want to get a connect group going at your house, Lauren. Here's the deal about spiders. Spiders freak me out. They make me shake, tremble. I cannot stand them. If you try to play a joke on me with them, I will kill you. Sorry. Not really. Well, may maybe. But this isn't the fear and trembling that Paul's referring to. He Paul is looking at fear from this point of view. Fear equals reverence. The kind of reverence for God that moves us toward him, not away from him. The Bible says that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. This isn't the fear of the Lord that would say, oh, my word, he's so big and so frightening, I'm going to go and turn and run the other way. This is the fear that says, look, I reverence you, Lord. I call upon you. I lean towards you. That's the kind of fear we're talking about. Trembling. This equals honor. The kind of honor that causes us to react to his greatness. As I thought about that word, I started to think, is there really any type of honor that would cause someone to tremble physically? The superstar effect. Lady Gaga's little monsters. This is our culture, people. Have you ever seen that on TV? This, this lady is a singer, songwriter, and people follow her around like she is a god. All across the world. In my mind, she's the biggest superstar of this time. And in an unhealthy way, people live and they tremble in her presence. The superstar effect. Go to your generation, the Beatles, Michael Jackson, right? Think of all the imagery that you get of people lining the streets as somebody comes to town. And these people lose control of their physical bodies. They cannot move because of the honor that they have for these people. Let me say this about that. I believe that our response to anyone on this earth should never outweigh the response we have for God. Never. That when we come to worship, we honor him, we reverence him, that we're all in. Okay, so fear and trembling, we kind of settle what that is there. But now it's back up to the controversial part, this idea of working out our salvation. Here's the great debate. Once saved, always saved, or salvation sustained by works. I'm not going to spend much time here because there's a reason it's a debate. There's entire sections of Christianity and religions uh, based on whether we have to continue to work for our salvation or whether it is entitled to us because of a relationship with God, and that's it. But Ephesians 2, in verse 8, if you go, it's about seven pages back in your Bible. Ephesians 2, in verse 8, this is what it says. This is a parallel scripture to this exact verse. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Verse 9. Not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works in which God prepared in advance for us to do. Here's what I believe about salvation. 
It is by grace, through faith, established on the gift of love, right? But it is built upon true relationship. So this works debate, let's put that into any relationship. If you want a relationship to flourish, you'll work at it, right? If you don't work at it, what happens to it? It dies. Well, you say, well, that's different because this is Christ. We accept the free gift of salvation. You're exactly right. And really, that is where it could stop. But if you accepted the gift of salvation, what I believe is that you would want to do the good works that he's calling you to do. And so we should lean in that direction as we try to dissect this scripture. We go back into Philippians. I don't think that this is what this is talking about at all. I think what this is saying, if you look at it in context... Paul is saying, continue to work out your salvation. Who's the your in this place? The church, right? The Philippian church. When we read it, who's the your? Me, just straight up me by myself. And so there's this pressure to work out my salvation. But Paul is speaking to the entire church at Philippi. It's a plurality, not an individuality. What I think that Paul is saying is this. Hey, since you all are saved, act like it. He's saying, let there be an outworking of your salvation. Does that make sense? Let there be evidence of your salvation among you. Why? Because we have influence on one another. Say it like this. The way we live will affect the way others live. Do you agree with that? You say, well, that's kind of an unfair responsibility. You know, my salvation is between me and God, and your salvation is between you and God. I'd suggest that I have the ability, if you've given me influence in your life, I have the ability to affect your eternal reward. You say, well, no, that's not true. Verse 16 of this same passage. Skip ahead just a few verses and read it for yourself. Paul is saying, hey, Philippian church, choose to live well because I don't want to get to the end of this thing And look back and see that I've run or labored in vain. Paul realized that the way they lived affected his eternal reward. What we say and do around those we have influence over is so important. This is why your words are important, parents. What you put into your kids. Look, I don't have kids yet, but I was a terrible one. And so I use kid references a lot because for me... It's where it came to life. It's where I chose poor decisions. And a lot of the decisions that I chose, frankly, were because of people that said, this is who you are. This is who you'll never be. This is the life you're going to live. Oh, the fatherless, this is, this is what happens to them. Speak life into those you have influence over. This is what the scripture is all about. So I've kind of front-loaded this message, but I want us to continue. It says this, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. I want to close with this thought, that we are not alone. Isn't that the great hope? See, Couldn't Paul have written it like this? Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, and then God will work in you. But he didn't. He kind of changed courses quite awkwardly, didn't he? 
He said, for it is God who works in you. He's saying you work while God works. He's saying that these workings, ours and the Lord's, are happening at the same time. Our role is simply to cooperate with the work that he's doing. Doesn't that take the pressure off a little bit? We think about the evidence of our salvation and all this stuff we've got to do. Did you know that the Lord wants the credit? If you go back to Ephesians, it says it plain and simple. Not so that we could boast, right? So that when we work on our relationships, we're not thinking, oh, I hope I'm doing a good enough job. I hope everything's going right. I hope I'm saying the right things. But all we're focused on is, I hope that I'm in relationship with the Lord because he's going to do the rest. He's going to do the work. Really quickly here, verse 14 says, do everything without complaining or arguing. These are agents of disunity. Paul's not changing course. It looks like he is. But what he says here is, do everything without complaining or arguing. He's saying, hey, stay unified. When you begin to complain, what happens? Right? If I come and I I go to my job and I start to speak negative about somebody with another person, they may not share the same sentiment about that individual before I begin to complain about them. But immediately when I started and say, hey, you know, that so-and-so, they just, they just rubbed me the wrong way. Can you believe they did this? I can't believe they did this. And what happens to the person you're talking to? Yeah, you're right. I totally agree. It's, it's, the problem is this, that discontentment is contagious. Be careful with your words. Stay unified. These are the, these are the things Paul is saying. We continue on, do everything without complaining or arguing. Here's this, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. I front-loaded this message because I knew that the beginning was hidden, some things that we needed to pull out. But this is important to grab onto as well. Blameless here equals not guilty. Oh, to be the somebody that nobody even thinks about when there is blame to be cast. Isn't that what Christians should be? We should live in a way that they say, hey, they love Jesus. They would never do it. They are not the ones who broke into that house across the street. Right? Wouldn't that be great if the body of Christ was like that in each city? People just kind of knew where the Christians lived. Right? I know it seems far-fetched because we just live in a society that is so far from that. Pure equals not polluted. Ever met someone like that? Oh, to be the person with a childlike attitude and unblemished motivations. Right? My wife is this. If you know anything about my wife, she is not polluted. Some people say she's naive, but I know she's not because she's been married to me for long enough. The reality is, is that she just has an innocence. She's motivated by honesty. Regaining this kind of innocence in the church, get this, this is another secret to contentment. I believe that regaining this kind of innocence in the church is the fuel to our witness. This is how we don't conform to the patterns of the world. But maintaining a a childlike joy and purity that lights up every situation, get this, so that we would shine like stars in the universe, which is where this passage ends. Why stars, everyone? Why didn't Paul say, in which you shine like the sun in the noonday sky. The sun seems brighter to me, the perception on earth anyways. But here's why. Three really quick things. Because they have a beauty all their own. 
The stars are just unique. He's saying be unique. Stand out. There are countless numbers of them, right? Again, if you read the whole chapter, he's talking about unity. Be like-minded. Be in relationship. The stars, they are together in the sky. And the last thing is because they stand out against the darkness. That's what this message is about. It's about living like Christ in such a way that we stand out against the darkness. I'm going to close with this paraphrase and go ahead and ask the band to come back up. And the paraphrase that I want to read is going to come up on the screen. And it is this. What if Paul was writing to us and he said, Therefore, one chapel, as you remember to be like Jesus, choose to live right even when nobody else is around. Don't forget about the influence you have on one another. Remain unified, blameless, and pure as God works his purposes in you all. In order that you might shine like stars in the universe, standing together and standing out against the darkness. Don't you want to be that kind of church? Can you see Paul writing that to us? To remember to be like Jesus? Will you close your eyes for a moment? just want you to self-evaluate. I want you to look inside. I want you to think about this message and maybe there's a specific part that stands out to you. Something that I said, one of these ideas about remembering that when we're alone, we have a choice to, to make about what we do with our weaknesses. Maybe you're struggling with this blamelessness and purity or grumbling and complaining, whatever it is this morning, I want you to self-evaluate. Maybe you're here this morning and you, you don't know Jesus. You've never known him. You hear us talk about him and this morning your heart is beating out of your chest because that same Jesus is standing at your heart's door and he is knocking and he wants to come in and take control of your life. Self-evaluate. Those of you that need to come back you need to come back that there's, a, there's been a disconnect, that the outworking of your salvation, the evidence of your salvation hasn't been there. Maybe it hasn't been there for quite some time. Maybe it hasn't been there just in the last few days. Whatever the case is, if you've never accepted Christ or if you want to come back to him today, you want to recommit to him today, I want you to slip your hand up in the air just really high. Just throw it up in the air. I want you to just commit to a new, fresh start with the Lord. I see that hand. If he's speaking to you, slip your hand in the air, just as a profession that you're saying, here I am. Here I am. I see that hand. Okay, One Chapel, I want us to pray together really quickly, but these words are not to be taken lightly. I want us to pray these words together. Those of us that follow Christ and those of us that are committing to him again today or maybe for the first time, I want us to pray these words from our heart. Let them come out as truths for you. Come on, say this after me. Say, Dear Father. Say it again. Say, Dear Father, I come to you today. I recognize my sin. I recognize my need for you. And this morning, I choose to give up and let you take control. Father, let there be an outworking of my salvation. Evidence that I am saved. Lord, 
Give me the strength to know what it means to follow you. I love you. In Jesus' name, amen.